Good morning. It's good to see all of you. I'm going to start in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the rain that refreshed us last night. God, I pray that your words that you gave me to speak would glorify you and you alone. I pray that you speak through me. I pray that you speak into the hearts of these women here and also my heart. And I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be here and study your word together, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So statistics show us that the average person will wait about an hour a day for something. So this may be waiting at a traffic light, waiting at a stop sign, waiting for your coffee to be made. So for a lifespan of 70 years, that's about three years that you're going to spend in waiting. And this is what Dr. Tony Evans says about waiting. The real problem isn't waiting. It's what happens in our hearts while we wait. For many of us, waiting creates a downward spiral of impatience, frustration, selfishness, and anger. If this is how we respond to people, what happens in our hearts when God makes us wait? Today we're learning about Abraham, a man who is known for his consistent faith. He was chosen and elected by God. And as Jody wrote in our study, God elected Abraham to be the beginning of a people that would bring forth his promise of redemption. And we've seen in the previous Bible study weeks how Alice and Jody walked us through the problem of sin and how our sin separated us from God. And so now we're going to see this movement of God reconciling himself back to humanity through this promise to Abraham. And it's so important to note this. This is not about who Abraham is. This is all about who God is. So let's keep that in mind as we keep going. I want to suggest that Abraham's faith was actually developed in waiting. And I know none of you, and especially myself, I do not want to hear that. But um, the good news is that we can wait expectantly. We can expect God in the waiting. I want to remind you of these words from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance comes from God. It's not from automatic results. And so we're going to move into the story of a great hero of faith and how the process of waiting a little over two decades for this promised descendant would make his faith into this model that we can now live out for ourselves. I want to give you four expectations in the waiting, and then we're going to look at how to respond to those expectations so that you can be sure of this. The waiting is never wasted. And just as a reminder, God changes the names of Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. He often did this during significant time in a person's life. And so I'm not covering that in this lesson, but you'll notice it happens in the scripture, and I may use their names interchangeably, just to let you know. All right, <coughs> expectation number one. You can expect the unknown. 
We're going to start with God's promise to Abraham. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis 12, 1 through 4. And we're also going to have the verses on the screen for you. And we're going to start in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's asking him to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house all at once. And you see this movement from comfort to discomfort, from the unknown to the known. And yet we're going to see how God will provide for Abraham and the unknown in verses 2 through 4. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And I hope we can catch the magnitude of those words, I will, that in Jody actually had us circle them in our lesson. I am a big fan of dependable people, those people that you can work with and they say, yes, I will do that. And you know, they're actually going to get it done. But even the most dependable people cannot compare to the dependability of God because Sometimes we're just not as reliable as we would like to be, and life happens for us. But when God says, I will, it is sure, and it is final, because there's nothing up ahead. There's no surprises that are going to catch him off guard to make him break his I will. God makes this unilateral covenant with Abraham, which means that it's one-sided, and it doesn't require anything of Abraham besides his faith. And Abraham is given this promise for land and descendants, but neither the land or descendants are available and, quite frankly, are impossible at this point. And yet, Abraham says, Yes, Lord, I will go. Would we be willing to say yes, Lord, into the unknown like Abraham? Maybe we would. But would we be willing to wait 25 years as Abraham did? I honestly don't know if Abraham had 25 years in mind either. But he clung to the Lord and this promise of I will And I believe that the unknown lost a bit of its intimidation as he clung to the Lord in this season. Jody had us practice silence this week, and I hope that all of you were able to make some space in your life for silence. Because silence really does allow these voices in our life to kind of fade into the background as we can just meditate completely on the character and promises of God. But I'm going to be completely honest with you. There have been really busy seasons of my life when I've thought, sitting in the presence of the Lord in silence, that doesn't really sound necessary to me. Because I have stuff to do. I have things to get done. I have a to-do list. I have schoolwork. I have people to take care of. I even have really good things to do in the name of the Lord. But I want y'all to grasp this and believe it with all of your heart. That time with God is never wasted. 
Never. And we have to stop, and we have to be willing to listen, and we have to be willing to wait. Because God will move. And when you're facing this unknown, sitting in his presence will, will allow you to, those things to kind of fade back. And you can focus on him. Here's what some of his promises sound like for us today. I will always love you. I will never leave you. I will always be working for your good. I will give you rest. And I will come back for you. Two years ago, God laid open this opportunity for me to take a group of college students to East Asia. But to be honest, I was incredibly fearful because the unknowns ahead of me paralyzed me. So I found out about this trip in March. By the time I would leave for the trip in June, I had to have $18,000 raised because at that point I was raising my salary year to year. Also, my mom was scheduled to have this really risky surgery in April, and we had no idea what the outcome of that surgery would be. Also, if I went on the trip, I would actually graduate a semester later than I had originally planned to. And not to mention that the last time I had gone overseas, I was experiencing panic attacks beforehand. So all of these what-ifs flood me. What if I cannot raise $18,000 in two months? What if my mom's surgery goes really poorly? What if I have another panic attack? What if I'm not emotionally and spiritually ready to lead a group of students overseas? And let me tell you, God did not come in and promise me that the money would get raised or that my mom's surgery would go well or that I wouldn't have another panic attack. But what he did say to me was, I will never leave you. And that wasn't exactly the answer I wanted, but it was enough. Unknowns are inevitable, but knowing God is possible. I did accept the trip, and I want to brag on God because he raised the $18,000 in two months. I was emotionally exhausted. My whole family was emotionally exhausted after my mom's surgery, but he healed her, and he allowed her to recover I did not have a, pan a panic attack before or during my entire trip. And I want to remind you that God did not promise me those things, but I said, yes, Lord, I'm going regardless of what happens, because he said to me, I will never leave you. We must stop trying to figure everything out before we say yes. As we dive into the story of Abraham, don't miss these words. So Abram went, as the Lord told him. He had no guarantees except the greatest guarantee, God's promise, his I will. Will you willingly walk into the unknown to know God more deeply? That's the beauty of faith-filled waiting. We learn from expectation one, in the unknown, it's possible to know God. The waiting is never wasted.
Expectation number two. You can expect moments of doubt. Abraham is years into the waiting. In this previous chapter, he has fought a battle and rescued his kinsmen and all of their possessions. Abraham has shown his obedience and his faithfulness to God. And I imagine now he comes and he is spiritually and physically weary. And I want to show you these parallel conversations in chapter 15 between God and Abraham regarding the promised descendants and land and how Abraham was struggling with doubt. So first, let's start with God's promise of descendants. Turn in your Bible to Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And I'm going to start with uh, verses 1 through 2. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So the Lord introduces himself as a shield for Abraham. And he reminds him of this promise of this great reward. And Abraham responds with doubt. And he says, there's no evidence of offspring. And let's see how the Lord responds to Abraham's questions. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted as righteousness. So the Lord's response to Abraham's questions is to remind him of his promise. And he shows Abraham this physical sign of the stars in the sky, how vast and numerous, just like his descendants Next, let's look at the promise of land in Genesis 15, 7 through 21. And I'm going to go a couple of verses at a time again. And I want you to notice the similarities from what we just read to now this conversation. Starting in verses 7 through 8. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The Lord again reassures him of who he is. And then Abraham responds with this doubt saying, there's no evidence because he knows that the land the Lord has promised is already occupied. I want us to take a minute and talk about verses 9 through 10 specifically because this is something we can't miss. It's so important. The previous verse we just read in 8, Abraham asks, how will I know? And this is what the Lord tells him in verses 9 through 10. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them half over against the other. And as I read this, I'm like a little disgusted, a little really sad. These animals, what is going on? So the custom of this day was whenever two people made a covenant, they would get these animals and they would cut them in half and then they would lay them down. 
and then they would walk through the animal pieces, signifying that if they broke that covenant, they would be willing to be cut in half like those animals. And so here's the beautiful part of this in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed through. God himself, in the form of a smoking pot and a flaming torch, passed through the parts. Do you understand the magnitude of what God just did? He gave reassurance that the fulfillment of this covenant was solely his responsibility, which is incredible. And after he passes through these animal pieces, this is what he says in verse 18, or what it says in verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, So just like the sign of the stars in the sky were a sign for the descendants, now we see this sign of the flaming torch by night for the promise of land. And I want us to notice that God didn't respond to Abraham's questions with annoyance or with frustration. He reassures him, and then he gives him these signs. I mean, both times, Abraham is like, "Uh, excuse me, I don't get this. How is this going to happen? And the Lord reminds him, and he lets his promises quiet the doubt. God can handle our doubt. In fact, he wants to reassure us in our doubt of his promises. I want to share a story of a time when God allowed me the space to doubt and then reassured me of his promises. So in 2012, I was living in Huntsville, Texas, and I got this call at work one day from my dad. And he said, hey, sweetie, your mom just had a stroke, and we are care flighting her to Dallas right now. She's doing okay, but we really would love for you to meet us there. So I was pretty shaken up at this point, and I decided to drive first to Waco, meet my aunt and uncle, then we would drive to Waco, I mean to Dallas the next day. That drive from Huntsville to Waco was brutal. I pulled over at one point just to sob, and this song came on the radio, and it spoke of God's love, and I started belting out the lyrics, just singing them so loudly. But even as I was singing about God's love, I was doubting it. How can his love be enough? If he loved my mother, why would he, why couldn't he prevent the stroke? And so I ended up in Dallas the next day, and I stayed with my mom in the hospital. Those days were really long and really hard, because we all know how hard it is to sit with someone you love who's hurting, and you can't do anything about it. By God's grace, she recovered. But there was this really sweet surprise that we got in the hospital. We actually had the perfect view of downtown Dallas. And a lot of the doctors told us, they teased us that we had the penthouse suite of the hospital. Because every morning, we watched the sunrise over Dallas. And me and my mom and my dad, we would just sit and we would worship God, as the sun reflected off the buildings 
and we were reassured of his beauty, and we were reassured of his goodness every morning, even mornings spent in the hospital. So Abraham doubted the promise of God. God gave him a sign. He showed him the stars, and then he proceeded to walk through the animal pieces as a sign of the covenant, which took all the weight off of Abraham's shoulders. I doubted God's love, and he showed it to me through a song, and then he reminded me of it through a sunrise. So are you doubting in the waiting? Are you at a point where you don't understand how God's character is still good? God is longing to reveal himself to you in your doubt, and I encourage you to take the time to notice. Doubt is not wrong, but doubt can be dangerous when, we, when it consumes us and it makes us think that we are in control of the outcome. Let your doubt lead to God's promises and let God's promises overcome your doubt. We learned from expectation number one. In the unknown, it's possible to know God. And we learned from expectation number two. In the doubt, it's possible to experience God. The waiting is never wasted. Expectation number three. You can expect the temptation to take control of the situation. So now we're going to jump back into this messy situation where we're going to read about the importance of waiting on God's timing rather than our own. The passage that we just read in chapter 15 is all about Abraham's doubt. And now we're going to be met with his wife's, Sarah's, grief. Because Sarah is still barren and she has yet to bear a son. They are 10 years into the waiting And desperation allows them to make a poor decision. I'm going to pick up in Genesis 16, 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So Sarah asked Abraham to do something that was actually culturally acceptable during this time because being barren and having infertility caused great distress, and it actually was often the fault of the woman. So having a surrogate mother was not out of the question. But even though it was culturally acceptable, Their decision was not directed by God. And so we're going to see this emotional distress caused by their decision in verses 4 through 6. And when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, May the the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Talk about an emotional downward spiral. 
So Hagar is leaving, and she's homeless, and she's pregnant. Sarai loses her maid. Abraham loses a son. Not to mention this strife that is caused between Abram and Sarai's marriage because they chose to handle their situation by their own initiative rather than God's divine intervention. And we see that God is gracious to Hagar, and he actually redeems the mistakes that are made. But it's not without ramifications on the history of God's people. Dr. Charles Wendall says this about striving. We must cease striving and trust God to provide what he thinks is best in whatever time he chooses to make it available. But this kind of trusting does not come naturally. It's a spiritual crisis of the will in which we must choose to exercise faith. Oh man, I can relate with Sarah. Have any of you ever been at the point of desperation and waiting where you just want to take control and do it yourself? And have you been at the point where you have taken the control only to have the emotional effects made by your decision? I know I have. So my third and final story is actually a dream that I had several years ago. In this dream, I am in this huge house with lots of my friends, and outside it's dark and dreary, and all of a sudden this burst of light comes through the windows, and my friend who's outside comes running in and says, everyone, Jesus is here, he's coming now, and me and all of my friends, we start clapping, we're cheering, like, yay, Jesus, he's here, and This is where the story takes a weird turn because all of my friends go running outside to go meet Jesus naturally. I go running back into the house, into a private room, and I just start praying, Jesus, you're here. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're here. Although, Jesus, you know I'm not married yet. Like, I I am so happy you're here. I'm so glad you're coming back, but I really want to be married. But it's okay. You can come back, Lord. It's okay. Come back, Jesus. I would like to be married, but it's okay. You can come back. And I wake up from that dream, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, Grace, (laughs) telling Jesus he can come back, even though you're not married. Um, And even though it was a silly dream, I really believed it showed the depth of my heart. Because ever since I was a little girl, I dreamed of being married. So much so that marriage became the dream. And without it, I felt incomplete. So much so that I stayed sometimes in relationships longer than I should have because I couldn't stand the thought of not being married. And so much so that every time I get on Facebook and I see another engagement, and another engagement, and another engagement, my stomach kind of drops a little bit. (sighs) Have you ever been there? (laughs) For many of you, it may not be marriage. It might be a baby, and it might be a job promotion. It might be a new job altogether. It might be moving. Whatever it is, it's kind of just within your grasp. And your heart aches with longing for these things and to see results. And in the waiting, you think, maybe God has forgotten me. Maybe it's time that I do it for myself and I take control. 
Right now in this room, we are all waiting for something. And I want to urge you to wait patiently for the prompting of God because he has not forgotten you. God's divine intervention will be worth much more than our human initiative. I don't know if I'm ever going to get married before I see Jesus face to face because he hasn't promised me that. But regardless if I get to be a bride here on earth, I am the bride of Christ for eternity. And when I get to see Jesus face to face as his eternal bride, it will be worth the wait. Rest assured that God is in control. He is pursuing you. He is fighting for you. He is working for your good. You do not need to strive or strain or insist on your own way. We learn from expectation number one, in the unknown, it's possible to know God. From expectation two, in the doubt, it's possible to experience God. And now from expectation number three, in the striving, it's possible to let go and trust God. The waiting is never wasted. Expectation number four, you can expect God to use you. We made it. Abraham and Sarah have made it 25 years. And let's pick up in chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old, when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Do you hear the joy in this passage? God is faithful. God did not forget his promise, but it came in his timing. And so now we're 25 years Later, and we see this man and this woman who have now become heroes of faith. And I want us to jump ahead a little bit to Hebrews 11, where it says this By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past her age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I don't know what kind of excuses each of you has but I'm pretty confident that you have them. God can't use me because I'm too old and my time has passed. I'm too young and I don't have enough wisdom. I'm too quiet. No one will ever listen to me. I have a mental illness. I have a physical illness. 
I'm not smart enough. I never went to seminary. No one has ever believed in me. No one would ever follow me. I can't do what he's asking me to do. And I want to encourage you with this. God made Abraham's name great. It was Abraham is in the chapter of faith in Hebrews because of God. God can and God will use you despite your weaknesses or your excuses. And it might not be in your timing and it might not go as you plan. He will ask you to face your doubt. He will ask you to walk into the unknown. He will ask you to give up control and stop striving. But if you use the waiting wisely, you will come out with faith like Abraham and those that fill scripture. You are enough to be used by God because you're not the one doing the work. God is. Know him and trust him and lean into his promises. God elected Abraham to be the father of many nations and descendants, and he has chosen you and me. Those he elects, he will not forget. How will you allow the waiting to change your heart? Because the waiting is never wasted. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that we learn that you are for us and that you are constant and you are faithful even when we are not. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that you give us and the promises that you gave Abraham and that we can look to his life as a model for us. We love you, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.